Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Astros Baseball, brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct to garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at RamShirts. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. We are also brought to you by our friends at Dugout Mugs. Go to DugoutMugs.com and swig for the fences. Without further ado, let's get to this week's guest, Charlie Polillo. All right, guys, here we are. Welcome this week's guest, Charlie Palillo from ESPN 97.5. I hope I didn't butcher your name there. You uh, nailed it, this- I nailed it? You nailed it. All right. I mean, you told me how to say it right before we came on, and I, I still felt like I said it wrong. Well, you're uh, denying yeah. yourself credit. You didn't have to reveal <laughs> that. I- I'm just an honest guy, sometimes to a fault. Something to be said for integrity. All right, so you are from ESPN 97.5 in Houston. Uh, do you know Craig? Oh, Patrick Creighton. I don't know why I said Craig. Do you know Patrick Creighton? He's been I on do. before. I do. Good dude. He's, he's going to be upset. I know. <laughs> he's going to be upset that I call him Craig if he listens to this. So you don't have to tell him. Well, you could just edit it all out post-production, right? That's true. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, what do you want to know? Uh, biography, longer story short. Uh, sure. Grew up on like, Long Island yeah. in New York. Went to school at Syracuse. Worked nine and a half months in Morgantown, West Virginia as my first full-time professional gig out of school, which I sometimes define as somewhere uh, along the lines of either a long pregnancy or a short prison term. But it was a great first job. Mountaineer football went undefeated that season until losing to Notre Dame in the de facto national championship game. Uh, moved to Houston, having what I'm sure many would uh, testify as some arrogant Yankee roots. Figured I'd work down here a year or two and be climbing the walls to get back to the Northeast, the capital of Earth, New York City specifically. But career went well, life went well, cost of living went fantastically. Mm. And 30 plus years later, well, I'm, I'm still here. That's pretty awesome. I moved to Texas in 89 and I'm still here. I moved to Houston in 89. All right, so let's get into the Astros. The, the Astros beat the Rays 3-2 to two to clinch their fourth ALS title in five years. How amazing is it that the Astros won four out of five? Well, it qualifies as a divisional dynasty. Um, the one year they didn't win was the quirky short season of 2020. But, I mean, it counts. Had the Astros won the division and won the World Series, no one around Houston or rooting for the Astros would say, well, it really doesn't count. So since they did get to the playoffs five years in a row there, but not the division title, uh, this year's, in some ways, maybe the most impressive of the four division titles. This year's team is certainly not as good as 2017, 2018, or 2019, but over the series of off seasons, not that Dallas Keuchel's any good anymore, uh, but from Keuchel to Cole to Verlander to Springer, 
and they just roll on and they're going to win somewhere in the in the mid 90s. Um, it's a it's a tremendous run. You know, Atlanta Braves won 14 in a row and only won one World Series. That was a dynasty. So I think the Astros qualify as a mini dynasty, especially if they're able to extend this deeply into October again or maybe even the first days of November. So on the verge of clinching, the Astros went to Oakland and got swept. How concerned were you about that? About you know how how concerning is that for this year's team that that happened? Not at all. Uh, 162 games. There's going to be ebb and flow. Uh, when it happens in September, when you're trying to close in on clinching, winning the division was basically an inevitability at that point. Though the Mariners won a week and a half without losing. And of course, when they skunked the A's four straight immediately after the Astros lose three straight at Oakland. But look, the Astros this season have had some oddities uh, along the road to to get to 93 wins. They uh, 11 times this year have had a chance to sweep a three or four game series. Three game series won the first two or a four game series won the first three. And 11 times couldn't close the deal, lost the finale. And the good news was they won all those series. And uh, marathon, not a sprint. That That's baseball over 162 games. It's also the sport where stuff happens. Sports happens. Baseball happens. And the Orioles swept them at Minute Maid Park over the summer. Uh, they dropped series. They got swept by the Texas Rangers this year. They got swept by the Colorado Rockies. At least I was in Colorado where the Rockies were actually pretty good this year. Yeah. Um, it's, it's and the, the Tigers. Picture. Yeah, the, right. It's the big picture yeah. that matters, and the 162-game picture is going to be a, a pretty one. Uh, the Astros are not a devastating juggernaut. Their lineup, particularly one through seven, has the looks of one. But they've been shut down plenty of times this season because that's pretty much how the sport works. The objective is to get into October, ideally avoiding one game, baseball, Russian roulette, or the wild card game. The Dodgers are looking at 104, 105 wins. Their World Series championship defense is over in one game if they can't beat Adam Wainwright and the Cardinals Wednesday. So the Astros won the division. Momentum means nothing going into the playoffs. Three out of five, a bad team can beat a good team. So a good team beating a better team. There's no such thing as a huge upset to me in a baseball postseason series. So life is supposed to all, uh, all, owe all of us opportunity. Well, the Astros uh, have another opportunity, and we'll, we'll see what they do with it, starting with the White Sox. But if they get swept in three straight, it's not because they folded or choked. It's because they would have gotten beaten over three games. It happens routinely to, to good to three games or four or five, whatever the, the series goes. Um, conversely, they win, they move on. Five consecutive league championship series. A very, very, very stout achievement. Um, a nice line to add to their mini dynasty resume that, well, maybe they grow into a, a real dynasty resume. Yeah. So after the, the Oakland series, you know, there was a lot of fans. Oh, no, we're in trouble. We're not going to do anything. And I'm just on, you know, on Twitter, like, what are y'all, what are you so concerned about? It's okay. We're on the road. It's fine. We're going to go home. Even Alex Bregman, you know, he tweeted, I'm not concerned at all. I mean, he didn't tweet. I think they interviewed him after the, the game. He's like, we're not concerned at all. We're going to go home. We're going to play well. And they, they beat Tampa Bay two out of three. I mean, they got destroyed in the, in the middle game of the series, and that caused some people to panic. But, I mean, that's what I saw happening, that they're going to come home and play good. I know they already lost the first game of the series to Oakland, but 
you know, they're resting guys. They've already, they've already, you know, lined things up perfectly, except, you know, they have to get home field advantage against the White Sox. So my question for you, how important is it to have home field advantage in the White Sox series? Well, you absolutely want it. You always want the home field if you can secure it. Now, you don't sell out to get it and suddenly have starting pitchers throw 120, 130 pitches because we desperately have to win this game to get the home field, but you want it. Uh, the White Sox this year, 51 and 27, 52 and 27 as we talk at home, 40 and 41 on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a must have? Of course not. Right? The Astros won the World Series in Los Angeles, 2017. Well, two years later, they lost all four games at home, game seven at home to the Nationals. But most fundamentally, most teams are a bit better at home than they are on the road. And even more fundamentally than that, on the playground, last licks, last ups, right? It is an advantage if you're in a tie game late to be up in the bottom of the ninth or you go to extra innings, the bottom of the inning where you know exactly what it takes to to win the game or rally to tie the game. Um, so uh, they would have blown home field if they get swept at home by an Oakland team playing basically for nothing. And if the White Sox were to sweep out the Tigers concurrently, credit to them. Um, but as you're talking about Twitter, I mean, that is that is a bastion <laughs> of overreaction, if not outright insanity a lot of the time. And I've just always been a believer that part of the fun of being a fan is getting aggravated when things aren't going well. Uh, maybe even to the point of panic. Somewhere pretty high on the list of athletes' cliches is never get too high, never get too low. Well, fandom, for at least a, an appreciable portion of the fan base, any fan base, turns that inside out, right? When things are going well, we're the greatest ever, we are unstoppable. And when it doesn't go well, oh no, we're falling apart, what's going on? Fire this guy, trade this guy, what, what's going on here? Uh, yeah. So uh, Bregman was right, you were right. They are fine, and the reset button gets hit starting Thursday. Yeah, they they released the lineup for tonight's game, and Correa is isn't playing. I, I believe uh, Diaz is playing shortstop. Castro's catching, and of course, you know, I think Wexler, Adam Wexler, posted, and he's like, "All right, I'm excited to hear the you know the the panicking and the comments from this, you know." But I, I'm okay with that. I mean, rest them, like you said. But we're talking about the White Sox home field advantage and if you look at that 40 and 41 record on the road and and just this year in my point of view just from watching the game without even knowing the records it just seems like the Astros are way more comfortable at home and they play better at home so I believe not not that it's important but I I really want it I I think it's a little more important than I'm coming off but next next subject you got Zach Greinke coming off the injured list and he just pitched a couple innings in Sugarland, and you know there was a story that came out that Grinky could come out of the pen Dusty Baker said he's very open to it it's something we've talked about it we've talked about it was his idea he wants to help the team he's not really stretched out to be a starter so do you see Grinky coming out of the bullpen if it's nine to two in the third inning up or down uh, perhaps they're being polite or deferential, respectful to uh, a pretty good shot at a, a Hall of Famer, Zach Greinke. But two decent innings for the Skeeters, his only decent <laughs> outing in over a month now. 
the Rangers racked him up before he went on the COVID safety protocol list. Then he got hammered again in two starts after that. And then he was shut down with neck stiffness or whatever it was. Uh, I just don't see why you would have him throwing any meaningful pitches. Uh, typically out of the bullpen, you're bringing guys in where, well, they're good. Uh, or at least they have strikeout stuff, or it's a specific matchup if you're going to carry a, a Taylor or Raley for a lefty versus lefty situation. But uh, I, this point, I'd carry, if, if Odorizzi shows even decently in his last start, I'd have Odorizzi ahead of Granke on my Astro pitching totem pole at this point. And they'll probably carry 12 pitchers. There's really no need for 12 pitchers in a five-game series with two off days if it were to go the distance. Um, I think their material questions are what order do you go with the starters? Right? McCullers is clearly their number one. He's not a prototype ace, but soup to nuts, he's been their best starting pitcher this season. Luis Garcia has been much better at Minute, Minute Maid Park than he has been on the road. ERA about two runs per game better. Uh, Fromber has been their overall number two best starting pitcher this year. Well, Fromber's been pretty even, his home road numbers. So might it make sense to pitch Garcia at home and then have Fromber go game three in Chicago, presumably or Keedy, your game four starter. And if it goes to decisive game five, you're back home and you're back around to McCullers. Um, but what if uh oh, uh, McCullers gets knocked out early and he has some history of that in the postseason and a guy can just have a bad day. Or if it happens in game two with Garcia, do you choose to use Urquidy, who right now you would certainly consider a better pitcher than Granky or Odorizzi, and how would that alternate uh, alter your later in the series starting pitching plans? Uh, that's why there's there's I guess some argument to go Fromber in Game One. That oh no, you're down two games to one, and you used Arkiti in relief in Game Two. You're not going to bring McCullers back on three days rest. I would think that's insanity. Uh, yeah. But Fromber, the guy who has the most resilient and, and rubber arm, if you down two to one and the track record of rushing back starters on three days rest is not good, right? It failed terribly with Verlander back in was it 18 <laughs> or 19. Um, but those are the decisions that Dusty and, and Brent Strom, and James Click, whoever else uh, is in the room as they talk this stuff out, have to settle upon. I think Zach Greinke's role at this point, I would consider it trivial to none because in the bullpen, Clearly, working backwards, you're thinking Presley, Graveman, Stanek. And so if you need a guy in the fifth or sixth inning, and Christian Javier has been kind of shaky, Phil Maton hasn't been very good, do you carry one or two lefties? So, I mean, if you place Greinke ahead of those types of guys for a couple, three batters, or uh, an inning, fifth, sixth inning, but would it even be Granky preferable over Odorizzi at this point? Um, I would think that if Granky's being asked to get important outs in the division series, stuff has gone wrong. Yeah, we. I had posted something about the the five man rotation. You know, when the playoffs come, and I had McCullers, Framber, Urquidy, Garcia, and Odorizzi, and everybody's like, "Oh, I agree with that," except. I have Grinky in there. And I'm thinking, do you even watch the games? Like, Grinky's been really, really bad. But they think, you know, he has the pedigree, you know, possibly a future Hall of Famer. Oh, they're out of respect, they're going to put him in there. And it's, you know, he's so bad. Like, why would you waste a spot on him? And I, I'm, I'm, that's very interesting, your thought about him being in the bullpen. Of course, he's open to it, but can he do it? Will he be successful? Who knows? 
Uh, but sticking with the roster, uh, who do you who do you see getting left off? You you think they're going to go with twelve pitchers? So that would be fourteen position players, right? Well, we think their starting nine includes Jake Myers in center field, though he's really tailed off. So they'll again probably yeah. play the matchup game and break down whether it's Lance Lynn or Lucas Giolito or Carlos Rodon, Dylan Cease. Not like there's much data with McCormick and zero with Jake Myers against those guys, but just the style of pitcher, low ball, high ball, that type of stuff. Uh, but Myers or McCormick will be the center fielder. I don't think there's enough trust in Jose Siri while there's talent. He's shown some good things. He's also done goofy stuff in the outfield and on the bases. So presuming McCormick or Myers, along with the other eight that we know, right, the magnificent seven, and then you're going to have a catcher, and let's say Myers. So your bench then, Castro for sure. McCormick or Myers, whoever's not playing, Aledmus Diaz. So there's three guys of your bench. That's 12. I would carry the third catcher, Garrett Stubbs. If I'm down 2-1 in the sixth inning and there's second and third and one out, I'm hitting for Maldonado right there. Uh, I want the ability to pull him early. Or if he's the tying run on second, somehow he gets on base and two out in the sixth inning, I'd want to run for him right there. Because it's not like, oh, I'm taking his bat out of the game. What a problem. So if I have Castro and Stubbs <laughs> just to, to fill that spot, um, Siri might be the fastest guy on the roster. Do you carry him for just that reason, the way they carried uh, Miles Straw uh, a couple of years ago? Um, I know there's some nice nostalgia with Marwin Gonzalez, and he did pop the three home runs over his first week. But, I mean, really, Marwin's been a terrible player for the last couple of years. And other than his multi-positional flexibility, Anywhere in the infield, you can stick him in left field. But you pretty much have a Ledmus Diaz for that role now. Uh, so if they go with the 12 pitchers, I think you have the 12 locks. You're starting nine, McCormick or Myers. One backup catcher for sure, and Diaz. I would carry the third catcher, so that's 13. And then if it came down to Siri or Marwin, I would lean Siri because of the one specific role you could envision him playing in the series, pinch runner. Because the Astros' main seven guys, right, I got a pinch hit for any of them. Um, though Brantley against left-handed pitching has been terrible this season. And if Myers and McCormick had both been hitting the last couple of weeks, there'd be a good argument to sit Brantley, actually, against a left-handed starter. But I doubt it will come to that. Um, so uh, there would be my 14 with Siri over Marwin as my 14th. I totally agree with you on the, the Siri over uh, Marwin Gonzalez. I I did a poll and you know and Marwin won the poll. By and everyone's going to remember the home run off Kenley Jansen, right? It's a little bit analogous to Greinke, veteran experience and know how and guile, and there's just some deep seated belief in a guy who's done it before. Uh, whereas Marwin's a made man in Houston for life uh, with that whole 2017 season, but particularly maybe the biggest moment in Astros history. Uh, if we look, you know, in hindsight, he done home run homer to get game two in extra innings. Who knows how it goes. Uh, you know, but Marwin's been a, a 199 hitter uh, this year, and he was horrible last year with the Twins, and he wasn't very good with the Twins the year before that. So that was then. This is now. Like the fine print at the bottom of those brokerage ads, or the guy says it really fast in the commercials. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Um, that Marwin Gonzalez excelled in a postseason four years ago should have very little bearing on the the roster composition for the 2021 postseason. Yeah, for me, it's the, you know, the fact that they have Diaz. They don't need Marwin because they have Diaz. Right. And Siri, I mean, 
he can pinch run. I mean, he that Matt, that's it's like like you said, Miles Straw. That's all he did. And also, you're talking about carrying the third catcher. I think Garrett Stubbs is pretty fast as well. Yeah. So he he could pinch run, and it, you know he if he pinch runs for someone in the outfield, he can go to left field. Yeah, and, and while I said you're not going to pinch hit for any of the major seven, no. but if Brantley gets on as the tying run, you're down three two in the eighth. You'd like to run for Brantley. So yeah. if I have Siri and Marwin on my bench, well, Siri's fast. Marwin isn't. So again, for that very, very specific role, it's a pretty easy choice to me. And if somehow Ledmus Diaz incurs one of those injuries he seems to come up with from time to time, uh, if he were going to be out for a week, well, then you could sub Mar- Marwin onto the playoff roster for him. But yeah. going into the series, you know, maybe Siri will never be called upon, but to have that card in your hand to play, if deemed necessary, just seems the, the more logical play. Yeah, we, and you also have Castro on the bench that could hit for Maldonado. Castro right. has been money, money in late-game late, late game situations. He's been coming up huge. So, I mean, even if he – I mean, he might pinch hit for Maldonado at the end of the game in every game of the series. Who knows? But Castro – a lot of people think Castro's the better catcher over Maldonado, but well, offensively Mal- it's not close because I mean, let's face it, Maldonado's horrible. Uh, yeah. Behind the plate, I'll still go advantage Maldonado. Um, he's certainly better throwing. Of course, negating an opposition running game. We're not playing astroturf ball in the '80s. Not very many teams run at all. The White Sox are not a good running team, but they just believe in Maldonado's handling of the pitchers and his his stability and kind of the, the captain on the field. Oh, yeah. uh, Brad Osmus 2.0, if you will, with with the occasional homer that Osmus was unlikely to hit. Well, other than when uh, tying uh, Atlanta in the 17 in the 18 inning game, um, Kyle Farns- Farnsworth shout out. Uh, so <laughs> carrying the three catchers makes sense because if you want to run or hit from Maldonado in the mid innings, you could go with Castro right there if it's pinch hitting. Uh, or if it's a pinch running spot and you wanted to uh, use Stubbs there because he's faster than Castro, you could you could go that way. Yeah. Uh, starting Jason Castro against a, a right-handed pitcher makes sense. I don't think Maldonado should be the the automatic starter in the playoffs just because there are off days sprinkled in in the series. I mean, Maldonado has been absolutely a wreck uh, offensively. Uh, Castro. Has, has come on down the stretch some. Uh, it has been bizarre. You know, his late and close numbers, his, his pinch hitting numbers are are good, but it doesn't mean I want to save him to pinch hit if I'm trailing in the eighth inning, if I think he's the better player for my team in the game from the go. Um, you know, White Sox, they use four starters. Dallas Keuchel's not going to pitch in a series unless, unless the White Sox run into an injury problem. Um, so Rodon would be the only lefty starter uh, I would think Castro should at least get a start versus one of those righties, Lynn, Giolito, or if there's a game four, presumably Cease. I don't really keep up with other teams. I had no idea Dallas Keiko was bad. Yeah, ERA over five this year. Uh, Keiko, you can draw some comparison to Greinke, who's certainly been better overall this year than Keiko. But their command, their precision, guys, they're surgical, right? Keiko on the edges of the strike zone and throwing that sinker and getting hitters to chase. Uh, he walks guys now at a higher rate. He gives up well over a hit per inning. Uh, ERA over five for the season. It would be a, a shocker if Larusa included him in their rotation. All right, let's go to Carlos Correa. He's been huge 
in huge moments this year. And this could possibly be his last season. I think it will be. Is there any chance that Correa stays in Houston? Uh, there's a chance. Um, you know, I, I don't think he has hard feelings about it. I don't think he's massively disrespected about it. But when five years, $125 million was dismissively considered very low, very low in the dollars, uh, very low in the number of years, it was pretty ominous. Now, he has a huge postseason, and the Astros go to or, or win the World Series. Well, will that just be the, the valedictory? And that much more reason than whatever the biggest contract out there is to get it. Or how can you leave? You want your number retired here. You want to be a bona fide Houston sports legend. How can you leave? Well, business is business. His marketplace, of course, it all takes is one team to, to go with that blow you out of the, the water contract. Um, he's going to use Lindor's deal with the Mets as a, as a template. Lindor's deal with the Mets was idiotic. 10 years, $341 million. Even if Lindor had a good year uh, this year, uh, too many years. Too much money for a shortstop will be in his mid to late 30s when the when the deal is up. Uh, but you get a team trying to make a big splash. Uh, I don't know if Correa will prioritize a glamour market. The Yankees are the clear and present danger, especially if they tank out of this playoff spot or don't get beyond the wild card. They don't have a shortstop. What better way to help yourself and hurt one of your nemeses in the American League if you're able <laughs> to go get Correa? Um, Seattle's on the come, right? They were a shocking team hanging in as long as they did this year within the division and right in it to the end for the wild card. A little bit of smoke and mirrors to that. They also have one of the five, six lowest payrolls in baseball. Now, I don't know if they feel so scarred by the Robinson Cano experience that, yeah, we're not going to do it with Correa. Um, Detroit, a lot of young talent uh, within reasonable striking distance of 500 in a division where nobody but the White Sox is any good. You know, as A.J. Hinch stumped hard for Carlos Correa to be the nucleus there. They have two more years of Miguel Cabrera. Other than that, their payroll is very low. Um, but, you know, the Mets are not in. If the Dodgers keep Kyle Seeger, they're not in. The Angels, right? They, they need pitching, 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 and more pitching. But if they want to make a splash within the division, well, help yourselves and hurt the team you've been breathing the exhaust fumes up for years. So uh, how many years, how many dollars? But timing isn't everything in life, Rob, but it sure as hell matters. So for the first time, first time in five years in a normal length season, Correa has been healthy and mm -hmm. really good. So I would think he comes in at at least seven years, probably at at least 200 million. Seems surprising to think the Astros would go there. As always, it's much more easy for the rest of us to spend gobs of somebody else's money. <laughs> but if Correa, you know, he he can't go to Detroit and say all that matters to me is winning. You know, if he wants to take the richest and longest contract, that fine. Everyone should accept that if that's the choice. Uh, but Altuve signed for three more years. Bregman signed for three more years. Tucker and Alvarez, at least under the current rules, are under control for four more years. Right. So the Astros' nucleus remains stout. Right. If you have Correa, five guys of an offensive nucleus uh, to at least the the middle of the decade. And, you know, they're they're second in the league and fewest runs allowed. So while they don't have a Verlander or a Cole, they have a good, deep and now cheap nucleus of starting pitching options going forward. Um, but would ownership go to where they've never gone before? Right. Altuve's extension was one hundred and fifty one and a half on the annual basis. Verlander's made sixty six million for two years to throw six innings. But I don't think anyone can accuse the Astros of being cheap. 
if they say, look, the contract's stupid. We're not we're not going to eight years, two hundred and fifty million dollars. He was healthy and good one year in a row. And hey, good for him that the timing was in his walk year. But yeah. we don't want to take on a contract of that length, that money when the guy's going to be getting to 34, 35 years of age, uh, when there is the the track record of of injury. And while Correa's had a magnificent season, um, it's not as if he's playing at peak A-Rod level or, frankly, what Fernando Tatis was for the Padres uh, around his injuries and, and COVID. Uh, but he's a staple class act. Uh, I think if there's if you had to pick who's the one guy who's the leader of this team, it is Correa. But he's failed so often in the attendance part of the grade. Well, this year he's aced that. Right? He leads the team in games played, uh, along with a huge year that he's had. Probably deserves a, a first goal glove this year. Uh, parting would be such sweet sorrow. Uh, here's a prop I'll offer you, Rob. The Astros win the World Series this year, but Correa's a goner. Or they lose in the American League Championship Series, but Correa re-signs for seven years. Which way, which way are you going? I'll take the World Series. That's a pretty nice bird in a hand, right? Two in, in five years. That <laughs> would cap a half decade of, of mini, mini dynasty. Uh, so if we're playing roulette and it's a simple red or black, red he stays, black he goes, uh, I think black's the, the right play. But as uh, as Joaquin Andujar said decades ago, you can sum up life in one word. You never know. <laughs> so let's talk about Yuli Gurriel. Last year wasn't very good. I believe they extended his contract, got some grumbling from the fans, of course. But he's on the verge of getting a batting title just a couple of days ago. Him and uh, Vlad Guerrero were tied at 315. Now he's at 316. Vlad's at 310. I think he pretty much has this wrapped up. How amazing is it that Yuli Gurriel can have the batting title at his age following last year's season? Yeah, I mean, he was he was awful last year. And there are so many good hitters who, for whatever reasons, right? Altuve was terrible in 2020. Uh, Gurriel was terrible, and he was also 36 years old. So it's like, okay— yeah. Father time, make the big move on him. But he admitted he was out of shape, you know, whether he was just enjoying life to the extent you could enjoy life uh, while with three months of unanticipated downtime. And he was 15 pounds overweight. He lost it. Uh, he, at his age, to develop much more plate discipline is pretty astounding. Uh, he's walked at a rate that he's never come close to walking at before. So he's swung at better pitches, better strikes, and he's flirted with 300. He had a season where he hit 299, a season where he hit 298, I think 291 maybe in his first full season here, uh, but well over 300 this year. The home runs two years ago was a fluke, right? The juiced ball when he hit 31 home runs. So he's more what he is this year, I think, in that area, 15 homers. But the way he cranks out doubles on base percentage in a 380 range yeah, exercising that option and signing him to that extension uh, with the option. Good call, Astros. Having Gurriel at $8 million for next season. Now, hey, maybe he hits the wall next year and falls apart, but having Gurriel going into next season at $8 million is a steal. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about Dusty Baker. You know, the, the Astros won the division. That's his fifth team. Fifth team he's led to a division title. Uh, but he hasn't won a World Series. What's Dusty Baker's legacy if he doesn't win a World Series? Yeah. Is it as simple as wins a World Series? He's a Hall of Fame manager. Doesn't. Doesn't. Uh, only won the one pennant 
2002 with the Giants when they when they lost to the Angels. Uh, number of heartbreaking postseason losses uh, with the Nationals. Two years goes to the playoffs. They they lose in five each year, and well, he got fired. So he's retired, and of course, all hell breaks loose with the Astros and the cheating scandal. And they were looking for a class act, a grown up, a guy who'd be respected in the room. So they pull him out of retirement. The first year, it was almost a redshirt year, uh, 29 and 31, but then they make the run in the playoffs, and now here they are back as division winners, and they have a shot. Uh, in the end, it's about the players. Dusty Baker's never been thought of as a, a great tactician, but you know what? The best tactician managers, they don't win 20 games per year for their teams. Uh, the biggest moron to ever manage a team doesn't lose 25, 30 games for his team because of strategy. Uh, I just think I've always thought Dusty just a great temperament guy. It's both cheesy and awesome to me that he still wears the wristbands with his own picture. And at least when he doesn't have a mask on and he always has that toothpick working. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think that that he has always instilled a, a brio, a, a, a verve, you know, great esprit de corps guy, which over the grind of 162 games, the day to day morale and, and tempo of a ball club. It's probably the biggest job of manager's job, maybe along with how the bullpen gets handled. Uh, so. I don't know what Dusty's thinking, and maybe he hasn't gotten down to the nuts and bolts of this. If they win the World Series, that's it. Now I'm riding off into the sunset. I have the final jewel in my crown. Hey, Hall of Fame, invite me. Um, If they lose and there's any moment where, oh, Dusty, you know, the and Hinch wasn't going to get fired for it, uh, but the Granky, Cole, Will Harris stuff in Game 7. You know, James Click didn't hire Dusty Baker. He's a younger analytics breed guy. And while Dusty doesn't ignore the analytics, he's not an analytics guy. Uh, if Correa leaves, it's not as if the Astros window is closed and they're starting some sort of rebuild. But I would think they probably move in the direction of uh, of another manager if they're not uh, at bare minimum in the, in the league championship series. Um, I don't know what Jim Crane is thinking on this. What is his standard? for uh, whether they invite Dusty Baker back. So we'll all just hurry up and wait on that. So looking at the AL wild card, it's getting kind of messy. Uh, I think the Yankees hold the lead for the number one spot, but they're on the verge of losing their second game in a row to the Rays. Oh, they lost 12-2. I mean, the Rays are the best team in the American League. Now, anyone else in the playoffs, we'll start with the Astros, can beat them three out of five, four out of seven. There's no question about that. But the Rays are definitely the best team. Um, and that they go in after wrapping up home field, they go into Yankee Stadium. The games mean nothing to the Rays, and Rays beat them the first two. Now, I'm sure they and a lot of other people would enjoy if somehow they bumped the Yankees uh, out of the playoffs. The Yankees are assured of at least being into a tiebreaker for the for the second wild card. Um, but anyway, I, I got us off, got us off path there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a it's been a mad scramble. Personally, just to see some fresh faces. And uh, that maybe there'd be some sort of meme of uh, TV executives blood draining from their faces. Uh, I've been kind of pulling for a Seattle-Toronto uh, American League wildcard matchup. Uh, unlikely, but still not impossible as we talk. And uh, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, where, you know, any fan, Astros fans panicking as they got swept at Oakland. Right? The, the Red Sox get swept at home by the Yankees, then go to Baltimore and lose two out of three. Um there is there is no outcome that should be considered impossible. Good team versus bad team versus 100 loss abysmal team. 
Um, so I would think it'd be fun if we could at least get into a, a three-way situation where maybe there's a playoff Monday for the second wild card and that team then goes plays at the, the Yankees. But, hey, the Yankees are going into the last day with 70 losses. Uh, the Red Sox, if, if they beat Baltimore today, they're at 70 losses. Uh, Toronto and Seattle are at least 71. So we're going to get final day drama. And it was smart in Major League Baseball a few years ago that all the games, the last day of the regular season, start basically at the same time. Yeah, that must be why we start at 2 o'clock. Correct. Tomorrow. Yeah, so, I mean, we've got the possibility of a three-way tie, a four-way tie, maybe still be out there if New York loses again and all these other teams win. But, I mean, I think you already answered it. You know, you're a smart guy and you're you're jumping ahead to my next questions, you know, because you're, you know, you're on point here. Do any of these teams, as exciting as this is, do any of them get past the Rays? Uh, the logical prediction is Rays. They're the best team. Um, they've scored more runs than the Astros this season. Quick, name three guys in the Rays lineup. Well, maybe since the Astros just played them. But they're good. They're deep. They're flexible. Their bullpen is amazing what Kevin Cash does with that. They have 14 different guys with a save this season. I mean, that's nuts. 11 different guys since the All-Star break had at least one save for them. It's as if Kevin Cash is showing off. Watch what I'm going to do today. I'm going to throw this guy in, and he's going to save the game, and he saves the game. Um, you know, they're starting rotation. They have a couple of guys they use as traditional starters, and then they just mix and match and use openers. Uh, they're a really good defensive team. They now have their 20-year-old Correa in Wander Franco, who has uh, the looks of a, of a superstar. Um, you know, this might appall many Astros fans, but Brandon Lau is a better player than Jose Altuve this season, right? The Rays' second baseman. Uh, Joey Wendell and Yandy Diaz, what they've given them at third base, as good as what Alex Bregman and Alednis Diaz have given the Astros uh, at third base. Mike Zunino, their catcher, has an OPS of over 850. His OPS is, is higher than Altuve's and higher than Correa's while batting 230 because he has 32 home runs. They're just amazing. They've been great at home. Their ERA at home is, is phenomenal. But I'll revert to, it's baseball. I mean, if they were playing the Rangers, now it's stretching the rubber band pretty far, but they're playing the Rangers in a best of five. They could possibly lose. So whether it's Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, or Mariners, of course they could lose. But it's as simple to the Rays' advance to the American League Championship Series to just try to defend the title, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I say yes as well. I'm, I'm looking at Astros and Rays, butting heads once again. Are you concerned about the White Sox? Do you think the Astros can beat them, whether they have home field advantage or not? Well, who same you, circumstances as the Rays. I think the Astros have the slightly better team. Uh, their lineup's a little bit better than Chicago's. But, I mean, the White Sox are seriously potent. Uh, if we're drafting players by OPS, the top two guys in the White Sox Astro series are both White Sox, uh, two guys who've missed a big chunk of the season of injury. But uh, the guy, the 24 year old Cuban with the best offensive numbers this season for the games in which he's played, it's not Jordan Alvarez, it's Luis Robert of the White Sox, who's hitting like 355 since coming off the uh injured list in early August. Uh, is Monty Grandal, their catcher. A walking machine. He's hitting like 240, but he has 20-some-odd home runs, and he walks like every three-and-a-half plate appearances. His OPS is 950, way better than Kyle Tucker's. 
<laughs> uh, Tim Anderson, 300 hitting leadoff guy. Jose Abreu, last year's American League MVP, has something like 118 runs batted in this season. They have a good lineup. They've given up the fewest runs in the American League this season. Right, That one, two, three, if Lynn Giolito and Rodon are right, they're a load. Liam Hendricks is the best closer probably in the American League. Certainly over the last three years he has been. Uh, Craig, Kimbrell, Craig Kimbrell hasn't been very good for them since coming over from the Cubs. Uh, but the White Sox are a most worthy and, and challenging opponent. It's a very mild upset if they were to take down the Astros. Uh, but a la the Rays against whichever wildcard team emerges, uh, do I think the Astros will beat the White Sox? Yes. But I wouldn't bet your ranch on it, much less mine. Yeah, I think the Astros have the advantage. In my mind, it's mostly because of the playoff experience. They have a, a roster full of people with playoff experience. And I don't really know about the White Sox. I mean, how many guys, how many guys on their team have been deep into the playoffs before? I have no idea. Yeah, well, Keuchel, who'll have a good seat for the games, and that should be about the extent of his role. Uh, they lost the miniseries last year, two games to one to uh, to Oakland. Um, so most of these guys, but that was the unique setting with no fans there. Uh, whereas if a young team, which did finish with a losing record on the road this season, uh, comes into Minute Maid Park, but pre-series momentum means nothing, right? If they come in and they score two runs in the top of the first and settle in and get good starting pitching. Uh, so it really is a, a reality. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. We can analyze. We can predict that the Astros beat the White Sox five out of seven in the regular season. It means absolutely nothing now. Um, but if you set yourself up to give yourself a shot, as both teams have, uh, you know, the White Sox were in a division where no one else was any good, right? Four losing records. The Twins collapsed this year, the Royals, the Tigers, the Indians. So maybe the White Sox record wouldn't be quite as good as it uh, turned out to be if they didn't get to play almost half their games against the squads in the American League Central. Conversely, you know, people point to the White Sox. Well, you know, they're like 29 and 31 since the All-Star break. Well, they haven't played a game that mattered, right? They had the division wrapped up basically at the All-Star break. The Astros are something like 29 and 25, over the last 54 games. That's a third of the season where the Astros have been, eh, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Zero on zero. Starts Thursday. Five-game sprint if it goes five. May the better team win. The better team within those five games. All right, Charlie. That's, that's all I have for you today. I really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun. All right, Rob. Thanks for the invitation. And uh, here's to a fun postseason. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.